Well, hello, and welcome to The Insecurity Project. I'm your host, Jamin Fraser, and I am on a mission to end the unnecessary suffering caused by the fear of not being good enough. We've all got it. We've all got to work through it. But thankfully, there is a clear, intelligent, and complete solution to the insecurity problem, and that is what this project is all about. Hope you enjoyed today's program. Uh, G'day, you're on the Insecurity Project with Jamin. Uh, It's a real privilege and pleasure to have you on the show today. I've got Greg Bellingham. Now, I say this all the time to anyone who'll listen, but I I credit Greg as the person who's had most impact on my life and been responsible for more change. And uh, even just this morning, he had me in tears, which is not difficult, but... Um, but just just his ability to uh, speak straight to the thing that needs saying. And it's consistently in a way that uh, he gives me language and, and wisdom that I haven't been able to access myself. So, And it's done that consistently over a long period of time. So I'm incredibly grateful for this man and, and super excited to be able to interview him again on the podcast and specifically around the area of spirituality and the interplay of spirituality and and insecurity and in and more specifically the interplay of christian spirituality and insecurity because um and and by the way you you might that might not be where you're at at the moment this might not be a a conversation that immediately strikes you as relevant so this might not be a podcast that um scratches the itch that you you need at the moment but nevertheless there are plenty of people who are suffering for, for not having this conversation, which is a big part of the, the intention of the Insecurity Project is to, to end unnecessary suffering caused by unresolved insecurity. So I think the three areas I'd love to address this year with, with experts like Greg is uh, spirituality, finance and sexuality, because there's a lot of noise in those areas, but not a lot of wisdom. And um, so I observe lots of people within a Christian spirituality uh, in a very small space and a very stuck space, space and experience a lot of suffering and a lot of judgment and guilt because they're not quite sure how to get unstuck. They don't like their experience. There's something that's and there's something that's happened internally that's caused them to find themselves in a very small place. So, I've in, I've invited Greg today to speak to that. Um, so, uh, where do we start, Greg? What's <laughs> it's a big a big subject, but um, a, a really important one. What's what's the leading question? Uh, what what's your observations around some of the key things that would cause Christians in particular to suffer in their spirituality? It's something that's very important to them, very central to them. It's what they want. It makes sense. But nevertheless, if they're really honest. Um, it, it creates a lot of pain and unrest and there's a bunch of stuff that, that, that doesn't work for them within their spiritual experience. Yeah, I mean, there's a, lot, there's a lot of stuff just even in that question. So maybe even if we broke that question down into uh, something that was more definable, we could maybe just start by saying, what is spirituality? Okay. And then we could, we could expand that out and say, you know, in what you know, what then is a version of Christian spirituality. But um, pr- probably we've lost sight of what the idea of spirituality is. Mm. And uh, I think the simplest thing that I feel about spirituality is that it's about connection, which, 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 which means that it's not... Uh, if we then 
express that in a deeper way, we could say Christian spirituality is about connection to God, the God that's revealed through the person of Jesus, the God that we, we celebrate in the church, the God that, uh, you know, uh, is consistent with the Old Testament, the New Testament, the you know progressive revelation that we have through through the script, through the Christian scriptures, through the Bible, uh, through the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, and uh, and who continues to you know make himself known in the in the in you know in the ongoing process of people meeting together to gather to worship all that sort of stuff. Having said that, a lot of stuff then gets back-ended in on that. I mean, we just talked about, if we take the Old Testament and the New Testament, we're talking about five and a half thousand years of history, right, of human history. So we're going back a long, long way. Um, and a lot, you can back-end a lot of stuff. You know, five and a half thousand years of history is a lot of, there's a lot you can feed into it. Um, but for me, when I break all that down, when I, when I break down what, has been, what I've received historically, through my Christian spirituality, um, it, it's still arguing. It's still moving us towards this this idea that there is a God that has revealed Himself, and that you can actually have a connection to that God. You can be intimately connected to that God, but there's a purpose behind uh, His will and His His will for your life, or, or there's a purpose behind your life. There's an inherent value in your life. Um, and all of that you can be intimately connected to, right? Um, great, great, great description and distinction around spirituality being connection. So then, I, I think it's useful to explore this idea of connection because I would say lots of Christians that I talk to would have experienced connection 20 years ago, but if they're really honest, it's the connection that's missing. There's an ideology, there's a practice, there's yeah. a bunch of stuff, but yeah. the connection. So why? Where's where's the connection gone? Well, I don't think the connection's gone anywhere, but I think it's really easy to, to it's really easy to substitute connection for a bunch of other things. Right. So it's easy to substitute connection for a moral code. Right. So my Christianity doesn't become uh, hmm. my Christianity loses its em emphasis on an immediate relationship with, with God or with spirit. Um, it loses that, that spirit to spirit, deep, deep to deep, hmm. you know, it, it loses that. And it, uh, it starts to feed into, say, Christianity is about, you know, doing certain things or not doing certain things. So a, a moral, ethical conversation. Right, right and wrong, black and white, good and bad, in, out, of us, not of us. Um, and we start to move into kind of, you know, spaces of exclusivity. We are the people that do this. We're the people that baptise in water. We're the people that pray in tongues. We're the people that are sola scriptura. We only believe in the Bible. We're the people that believe in the sacraments, you know. And so it's easy then to... Uh, you know, have an ethic around if you do this, then you're one of us, and if you don't do this, you're not. Um, and there's nothing, there's nothing, we, we could call that a Christian distinctive. There's nothing wrong with Christian distinctives um, in, in and if they actually serve connection. Hmm, like so, sure. I mean, I'm, I'm ambivalent about what people do in that regard, as long as it serves connection to God. Hmm. If it just becomes a tribal distinctive, then it's 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 not serving and it's not serving that purpose of connection then we have a we, we get lost in that we get lost in the distinctive yeah, sure. not in the connection right great so uh 
I'm very pragmatic, as you know, and I, I want to have a conversation that hits the ground. And yep. so one of the questions that my, my brain goes to intuitively is why? So why would that be the case? Why would people exchange connection or let connection fade into the background and swap it for a moral code or a tribal set of rules? Yeah, or think, why well, does that yeah, happen? Yeah, 100%. So I think one of, the re- one of the first things that happens when you become a Christian is that you feel like you want to gather with other Christians. Right. And so as soon as we start gathering with other Christians, we're going to go into an environment. We're going to go into a structure or some sort of form that houses... Uh, you know, some fellowship or some intimacy or some community around the Christian. Now, you, you'll you'll struggle to find a form or a structure that houses Christian community. We we usually call that the church. You know, the gathering, the ecclesia, the body. Um, the ecclesia, the gathering, the body, the church itself as a as a form as a structure always is defined by particular distinctives, mm-hmm. right? And our entry into intimacy with God is often connected to our entry into intimacy with other people. And you do that in a context. You do that in, a, in an environment, right? And those environments have, like, like, all, um, like all environments, those environments that are gendered places. They, they, have, they, they have their own distinctives. So I go to church, and as soon as I go to church, someone says, this is how we do this. Mm. This is how we do devotion. This is how we do Bible reading. This is how we do prayer. This is how we do, um, you know, commitment to X, X Y, and Z. Um, and and so it's really quick. It's really easy to think that, and especially if we tap into our instinct to belong, you know, hang out with other people. One of our instincts is the desire to belong and feel connected to them. And so one of the first things I do is I go. And I might even do this in an implicit way, not even explicitly trying to, but I might just sort of think, what you know, how do I connect? How do I belong? How do I become part of this group of people? And if a whole bunch of people are doing a bunch of stuff, then I just go, well, I'm I'm going to get on board with that, mm. you know. So I get on board with a whole lot of stuff, which 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 might suggest that I start to uncritically adopt some practices, some ideas, some habits, some. Um, activities or ways of thinking and doing stuff which just I pick up because that's how we roll mm. right and I want to be I want to be part of how we roll right so if, so when I first joined the church you know one of the things that people said was like well we we, we do this and you know we we don't listen to secular music mm. you know so we don't so drink alcohol we don't drink alcohol mm. you know uh we go to we go to two services on a Sunday. We go to youth group on a Friday. We go to Bible study on a Wednesday night. You know, and I thought, well, I want to belong. So I'm at Bible study on Wednesday night. I'm at youth group on Friday night. I'm mm. at Sunday morning church and I'm at Sunday night church. Mm. You know, all of that was an uncritical download for me. It just happened because I wanted to. I wanted to be part of that community. Mm. Right now, there's nothing. There's nothing necessarily wrong with that. Again, mm. like I'm not. I don't want anyone to feel like that's a bad thing. No. But the point is when you start to do things and the things actually cease to or stop connecting you to source, mm. you know, uh, then, then now, you have, now you've got yourself a fully-fledged religion. Yeah. You know? And then the suffering begins because when you're really honest with yourself, it's not actually meeting the deepest need you have for connection. Well, there'll be a honeymoon period where you'll be doing these new things and it'll just be all new and it'll be wonderful and it'll be life-giving and it'll be tremendous. And then and then it'll become a point of discipline and then it'll become mm. a point of, 
I'm doing this, but I'm not getting much out of it. But, you know, I'm going to double down on be super committed and, and keep going, keep pressing, mm. keep pushing. Uh, and you'll probably personalize a lot of stuff. You'll go, oh, mate, I'm, I used to get a lot of life out of this. Why aren't I getting life out of this? So you'll personalize it and think it's your problem. And, yeah, well. and there'll be an endless number of people that say, yes, it is your problem. Mm. You know, you're not as committed as you used to be or you don't mm. read or pray as much as you yeah, used you're not, to. You're not coming on Wednesday nights anymore. Yeah, what's going on? You need to. So there'll be a lot of people, there'll be a lot of custodians of the tribal uh, methodology, you know, Mm. the way, and and you'll and you you might double down and be a little bit negative about yourself and go, yeah, I'm not as committed as I used to be, or I'm not I'm not as passionate as I used to be. I've got to got to regain my first love, or you know, need to go harder. and then after a while, I mean, after and for many people, they do that. They do that for the longest while. And if they're really, really honest, they wake up one day and they go, I don't know if this is about me. I don't want to be negative. I don't want to be critical. I don't want to criticize the church. It's been a place of great life. But they go, I'm not, I don't think, I don't think this is about me. Hmm. There, there's something here that is not connecting me to source, connecting me to God, connecting hmm. me to spirit anymore. Hmm. You know whether whether I've changed or it's changed. It could be they've just progressed, but they stop personalising it and they go, no, no, no. There's the form that I have is not serving the connection, the spiritual connection that I have. And then yeah, so one of the great challenges then within that whole framework is the lack of ability for honest conversations and for truth telling. So there's no real way to say that within the context of a local church. Just go well. No, this actually, not. um, this is how I'm feeling about that. That's that's a significant challenge. So then the suffering increases because then you have to either lie to yourself or pretend. Um, well, yeah, and there's no, there's never there's, there's never an admission. Probably, if we said it in a non, um, if we said it, if we we could say this this way, and it's and it's not critical of any particular institution or pastor or you know structure. All forms are temporal, right? You know, so like I have three kids, uh, you know, twenty six, twenty two, and twenty one. You know, when they were, when they were, you know, under ten, they needed me to be a dad in a particular way. They needed my wife to be a mu- to be mummy, mm. and I needed to be daddy. Yeah, you know, and they needed to be present in a particular way. You know, we watched a lot of Little Bear. We watched a lot of The Lion King. We watched Little Mermaid. Like I can go back and you know all these movies that we watched heaps of times and games we played and we played Uno. You know what I mean? But if I went to my 26-year-old and go, "Do you want to play Uno?" He goes, "No, not so much." I think it's pronounced Uno. Well, there you go. So it's been a <laughs> long, long, long time. You know, um, Uno. So yeah, I, I, you know, she doesn't need me to be that guy. You know what I mean? She need, at, a, at 26, she needs, a, she needs a different dad. You know, she needs me to have a different form to be the guy that who is moved out of being a directive person in her life and is now an encourager, uh, a supporter, a champion of the things that she wants to do in her life, you know. Um, now, in essence, I'm the same guy. I still have the same uh, essential function as being her dad no one else can in essence be her dad Mm. um and i haven't changed my thisness is i'm still the same guy that i was but i express that essence and thisness in a different form sure great but often you would i'm sure you'd agree people get attached to form 
they find a form that works that they know how to operate in and then they keep driving that form yeah, forever. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So that's the critical mistake and that's yeah. a really good distinction is that form is not forever. Mm. Form is flu- form comes and form goes. It has to be fluid. Sure. If, you, if, if we lock it in, when we lock it in, that's the day that we start to create a dynamic of pain in our life. Great. And this is why insecurity is such an important subject because to me the reason why anyone would lock in form because it gets... They feel comfortable in that space. They know how to make sense yeah, of their life. They find their needs are being met in that form. Yep. So they feel secure about themselves 100%. and insecure about being someone else. Yeah, 100%. So a parent might find that they have a measure of security in the form of having toddlers. Yep. But as their children grow older, they don't know how to evolve. They don't know how to let go of that form and totally. grow to the next. Yeah, or, totally. or a church leader might find great comfort in being um, very directive and you know, discipling new Christians but have no capacity to have mature conversations yeah. because yeah. that takes them into an uncomfortable space. Yeah, 100%. And the Christian church is deeply, deeply flawed in that in that regard. You know, mm. we still have position on whatever your theology is, but we still have relatively uh, unevolved positions on women and the role of women in the church. We still have half the Catholic church. We, we have all the Catholic church struggling under celibacy and the disaster that that's been. Um, you know, about celibate priests and, and the impact that that's had on the Australian society has been massive. Mm. Um, we, we still have a whole, we, we, there's a whole lot of stuff that we still do, which at, at one point in time was totally appropriate, but at this point in time is, is not appropriate, does not work, mm. is not life-giving, does not connect us to spirit, to God, to source. Um, and, and yet... Because it's pitched to us as fidelity to our tribe or fidelity to our church, we do it and we don't want to criticise it because we don't want to be negative. And so there's no there's no vehicle for actually saying, um, I don't think that this really is working, especially if the thing that's not working is a tribal distinctive. If it's a church distinctive and it's how that church is actually... Uh, identifies itself and presents itself to the community around, if it's a point of pride and if there's a point of historical... Um, significance to that, then people go, oh, we, we can't let go of that. That's who we are. Mm. Right? And that, that's the second mistake is that the form becomes the expression of who you are mm. and it's not who you are. No. You know, uh, I, I, I am my children's father and I was their daddy in that particular regard, but my, my parental function or my parental role, it can move in and out of form all the time without being violated at all. But if I need to be daddy to a 26-year-old, then I'm creating a codependent, unhealthy relationship. And a lot of people probably do have codependent, unhealthy relationships with their churches. Yeah, for sure. One of the ways that I think about the personal development journey is really the transition from child to adult. Yeah. So the child outsources all needs, all internal needs for significance, belonging, affirmation, love, connection to their outside world because they don't really have the capacity to meet that internally. Um, And it works okay for a season, but most people never work out how to then fill that void themselves and so remain attached to external things, external roles, relationships, possessions. And it, it creates a massive amount of suffering because it doesn't make sense logically to have to lie to yourself and suppress intuition and stop being honest when things aren't working but you have to stay in that place because yeah. that is your whole identity 
Yeah, I think that's. I think it's really. I mean, it's a really easy thing to. As soon as we, and this is why I define spirituality as connection. As soon as we start to to feel like we can do spirituality and not have connection, mm. and and we should be honest about connection. Connection with we're talking about connection with a divine being, an omnipresent person, uh, you know, manifests as spirit. You know, we don't have a physical Jesus here. Um, <laughs> when we talk about connection to that, it's it's never going to be like connect, connection to my coffee cup. Mm. Do you know what I mean? It's gonna it's gonna be much more esoteric, much more ethereal. Sometimes I'll feel like I've got my finger in the socket and it's like, and I'm zinging and I can sense God's presence and we can, you know, feel close to God. And sometimes I feel, you know, I sit down with a journal and I'll write and I'll feel like, oh, this is a direct letter to me. This is God speaking to me directly or I'll, I'll pray and I'll be like, wow, I was in, you know, think of all the, all, all the old terms. I was in the, I was in the throne room of God, <laughs> you know, like I was at the feet of God, you know, um, Sometimes it'll feel like that, and sometimes it'll feel like you know, throwing stones at a glass, at, at, you know, at a ceiling, and everything's bouncing off, and I'm hearing nothing, and I feel alone, and I pray and get nothing. I read and it's dry. I, I have fellowship with people, and it's, it's passe. It's boring. You know, I try and sing a song or worship or do some act of devotion, and it just seems dowdy and boring. You know, yeah. So. We should say that when we're talking about spirituality as a connection, that's not a constantly zipped up current. Mm. It's a it's a waving current. You know what I mean. Um, however, you still maintain that spirituality has to be about connection, mm. because as soon as it starts to become about doctrine, dogma, moral codes, tribal distinctives, as soon as it becomes about those things, mm. we we we're, we're going to get stuck in a form. Yeah. We're going to get secure in that. We're going to get certain about that. We're going to get exclusive about that. Um, and then if if someone... And because because time alone will challenge a form. Mm. You, you don't need anyone to deconstruct form. Mm. You know, time will deconstruct form. We don't do it like the Wesleyans used to do it. We don't do it like the Anabaptists used to do it. We sure as heck don't do it like the first century Christians used to do it. Time deconstructs form. Mm. But if you're so attached to form that you have to hold on to that and you fight for that and that has become your Christian spirituality, you're in a world of pain. <laughs> yeah. You're in a world of pain. <laughs> I was just thinking about uh, when we first met and how tied to form I was and uh, you had some dangerous conversations with me yeah. and some, some deeply challenging ones and... I remember some key books that you put in my hands, which troubled me. Yeah. But it was all about that whole thing of it's not it's not the form. It's the form serves a purpose. Yeah. But form is temporary. It is. And I was sharing my journey with someone recently. A client asked me to tell a bit of my backstory, and I burst into tears halfway through the story. Again, evidence that it doesn't take me too much to cry. Um, but it was about the joy of not getting stuck somewhere, not getting stuck to form, having. Yeah having this to look back over the tapestry of my life and finding that there have been times where I've reinvented let go of one form and found the next form yeah. and then to be, to be able to maintain a sense of authenticity and and integrity about being me yeah. uh, but the the best version and the newer version yeah um yeah so you've played a massive part of that so I'm always very Thank grateful you. yeah good 
Uh, so what would you say is a, is a starting point for people who might go, yeah, you know what, there is some suffering if I'm honest, and you're right, I've, I've attached everything to form. Yeah. Um, what's, where do they start? Well, probably, probably avoid the negativity piece, right? And that's really hard because to, to some degree, you're going to have to go. You, you, if we move from one form to another, then there has to be a delegitimization. There has to be a deconstruct of this form before we embrace another one. So you're saying this is wrong or this is bad yeah, or this so, form. I... Yeah, so there'll be an element of that, right? Sure. Uh, Walter Brueggemann in a book called The Prophetic Imagination wrote about this beautifully and he took the example of Moses bringing the nation of Israel out of Egypt. And he talks about the plagues and how the plagues were a deconstruction of the form that the Israelites were living under. They were living under Pharaoh, they were living under Egypt. Pharaoh was a, a demigod, a living god at that period of time. He was def- it was autocratic in the extreme. Uh, they were stomping bricks, you know, subjugated slaves, you know, uh, had, had no real rights. So the first function of Moses and of, of Yahweh, God, with that group of people was to de- was to delegitimize Pharaoh. Mm. And so what the, all the plagues did is they said, Pharaoh's not really a god. He's not in control of yeah. locusts. He's not in control of the Red Sea. He's not in control of food supply. He's not, he can't even protect his own son. Mm. Right? So there was a delegitimization of that form, which, which people talk about a deconstruct. Um, and then there was a, a movement out of that into, into really a wilderness, into, a, into what's mm. called a liminal state, a place where, well, I'm no longer there, but I don't know what the new form is, right? Um, and, and there's a whole big conversation we can have about liminality. And, and um, the limen in Latin was the, the threshold between one room and another. There was the door frame. Mm. So I'm no longer in that room, but I'm not in this room either. I'm passing through this betwixt and between state. So the first thing that will happen with you as you start to challenge form is that to some extent you'll need to deconstruct it and it, it will need to lose its legitimacy mm, yeah. to a point where you go, you know what, I don't think this is working for me. Mm. Now you can do that fiercely and as a zealot and want to bring down the house, mm. in which case just giddy up for more pain. <laughs> That's probably how you and I used to roll. Oh, you yeah. Know, like I'm yeah. taking the whole thing down. Boy, oh, boy. Um, that's, a re- that's just a recipe for lots of pain. Mm. Or you can just really graciously and wisely say, this isn't working for me and mm. I, I need to be honest about that. Mm. And I need to be honest about that because if I stay here, um, I mean, there's that old joke, there's that old pastor's joke and I loved it because it summed me up entirely where the wife wakes up, the husband, wake up, wake up. No, I don't want to get up. No, wake up, wake up. You've got to get up. We've got to go to church. No, I don't want to go to church. Wake up, wake up. We've got to go to church. You're going to be late. No, I don't want to go. They don't like me and I don't like them. Wake up. You've got to go. You're the pastor. Yeah. You know, like, that was like, like that was my experience. Yeah, like yeah. I do not want to be here. Mm. And I'm not sure that anyone else wants me here, mm. but I'm actually running the church, right? Mm. So this is problematic. But you still have to say, I don't want to wake up. I don't want to be there. But it's fair to say that. It's honest to say that. Mm. It's not an answer in itself, but it's a starting place mm. for dealing with a form that's lost its vibrancy, or lost its life. Yeah, and I mean, one of the seven practices in in deep change around insecurity and identity is is pain. It's actually to stop pretending there is no pain and to stack the pain and, and that honesty around this. This is actually not. Working. Yeah. This is not working, yeah. and that 
that's messy and it's like I think the real the real reason people don't want to listen to pain is because they know pain's going to ask them to do something they don't want to do or they don't feel capable of doing. So if this if this form really is not working, well, what does that mean? My whole world, my whole social social structure, my whole moral code, my whole identity is tied up with being this guy. I don't know how to be any other person. So how can I listen to this pain and say this is not a legitimate form? Because then I delegitimate delegitimize myself which is why people don't listen yeah that's so true i think that's exactly what it is you know you you become an outsider in your own world right and there's a you you stand to lose a lot of stuff in reality you probably don't (laughs) right so what do you mean well you know i keep going back to the analogy of the kids you know like i i lose that element of being you know the big larger than life dad but I'm still dad yeah it, it just has to wait until something else emerges hmm. and that's why staying yeah. in a perpetual deconstruct or staying in negativity or staying in staying in that place there's a real risk of staying in that place that you die in that state wow that you that you lose connection entirely and then hmm. you can't find it and then if right? it's not this form, it's nothing. Uh, yeah, you become yeah, so reactionary. Yeah. And I've lost, I've lost a number of friends to that. They, sure. They've jettisoned their religion. They've, 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 they've jettisoned their spirituality mm. because they made it too much of a maths formula. Right. One plus one has to equal two. But in spirituality, one plus one doesn't equal two. Mm. In spirituality, all sorts of things happen. Mm. I remember the story of... Uh, I remember reading the Gospels where it's at the birth, you know, before the birth of Christ, you know, there's these promises made to Mary and there's these explicit statements that, you know, and Mary stored that in her heart, you know, remember Mary pondered this in her heart. Things like, you know, he will be, you know, the king of Israel, he will, you know, like he, he will be this guy, he will save his people, blah, blah. And Mary listening to that, you know, the testimony of the wise men as they come and, and they, and they honour Christ at his birth. And then I think of the Mary who stands in front of the cross and watches her son being crucified mm. and, then, and then having every right to say in that moment, um, it didn't happen. Mm. It didn't deliver. This isn't, this isn't him being a king. This isn't him being honoured. This is him being utterly dishonoured. And so you go, you know, does she have the right? Does she have the right at that moment to? I mean, she has to be patently honest because her son's been crucified. She can't. She can't say, you know, she can't kind of put a. You can't put a happy spin on someone being crucified. It's, mm. it's yeah. about as bad. It's, it doesn't get worse yeah. than that, right? And yet, in a, and Life yet, Brian, he tries to put a positive spin. On. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. What was, what was it? Crucifixion or whatever? The, freedom crucifixion. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so she has to be brutally honest, but then the, the other dynamic of spirituality is that um, it, it will come to pass. It just won't come to pass in that way, mm. right? And so this is, this is an, a crucial part about moving on from form. It hasn't happened in that form, but it will happen. Mm. It, just, it just needs to mm. transcend that form. Mm. It just needs to find another expression. Mm. Um, and we just have to... We just have to allow that to happen. So it doesn't. It doesn't help to rail. You, ha- you do have to delegitimize. You do have to deconstruct. Mm. But you don't have to go to war with the old form. It has to be a gracious letting go. Mm. Um, or to, you know, and I haven't. I haven't been a master of that. I've been poor. At, I've I've railed because I've been so invested in them. 
that it's been really hard to let go. But when you can let go graciously, you you do, and then you and then you allow you allow the breadcrumb trail to fold out. There's a, there's always a breadcrumb trail. Yeah, for what comes next. Yeah, what comes next, and the the, 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 the what comes next won't be a big thing. It'll be a, a little morsel of life, and you go and pick that breadcrumb up. Mm. And then you walk down the track a bit further. It'll be an emerging journey where the idea of emergence is, I didn't, I didn't get the, da- I didn't get everything downloaded, but I got a piece, and then mm. I got another piece, and then, and then a reality, then another form started to slowly emerge. Mm. I, I got friends that um, jettisoned one form. They really, they kind of got this idea. It was not about form, and um, experienced this liminal space, this this kind of wilderness. It's like I'm, I'm not there, and it's not that anymore and I haven't found the new thing yet and yeah. it's almost like they, they got scared in that space yeah. um, and then they ran back even further than they'd come to, f- yeah. to find an even more concrete. secure, concrete, rigid form yeah. because the, the uncertainty of yeah. having no form was so threatening Horrible. every part of their being um, that they, they couldn't survive it. They couldn't hang on yeah. and follow the trail. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I've seen that too. And I think I was—I started to mention and didn't follow through. But I've had friends who, their spirituality was because it was doctrinaire, or it was dogmatic, or it was based on an ethics or a moral code, or it was based on a set of beliefs. Hmm. You know, if I do this, then it happens like that. And and when you have a Mary situation where that formula breaks down, for for some of my friends, they've just gone, well, that formula's broken, so therefore the equation is done, and I'm out. Yeah. Right. Um, and that's, and and that's not sufficient. Like for me, that's never been sufficient. Mm. It's like okay, that equation doesn't work, mm. but spirituality isn't. It's not an equation. Mm. It's a connection. Yeah. And so if I can't find the connection through that, then I'll find the connection. I'm gonna I'm gonna hang out because I, because for me, if you throw it out like if you throw it out as if it is an equation, right? You're treating your spirituality like like a math formula, mm. right? It's not. It's a connection. If I if I lose the connection there, I'll find it somewhere else. But I'll have to wait. It'll have to it'll have to reconfigure itself in a particular way. Mm. Um, and I can't. I whilst I can delegitimize the early naive form that I had, I can't. I could never actually say that that form didn't give me connection initially. Yeah. Sure. No, you're right. Right. Like I, I can't go back on my early my naive early Christian experience and say well, the church didn't do this, this, and this, because for the better part of the first 10 years, it provided everything. Mm. It was a wonderfully nurturing place. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I'm talking about really rigid, fundamentalist, <laughs> Pentecostalism, you know mm. what I mean? Um, for me as a young 20-year-old, like that was a good formula. Mm. For me as a 45-year-old, that was a really bad formula. Yeah. But initially, yeah, yeah. It, it, in terms of my own evolution as a person... I can't deny that that played a major role in shaping my connection to God, hmm. right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, such a useful conversation. And, um, yeah, again, so glad we're getting to have it. Uh, you got a book coming out. This has been something that's been in the pipeline a long time. Yeah. I'd love to hear just a, a quick summary of this message because this is, I mean, this is a continuation of the things we're talking about here. Tell, totally. us, tell us the heart. Yeah, so the, what you're writing. yeah, the book that I've written is a book called The The Hidden Faces of Change, right. The Not-So-Obvious Truth About Change. 
and it's really playing on some of these ideas. It's it's playing on the idea that um, number one that that change isn't anywhere near as obvious as we think it is. You know what I mean? Um, and that it's not just one thing. A lot of the time, change is defined as process, current state, future state, transition state. We've even toyed a little bit, you know, departing form, emerging form. Um, but I've personally found that change has probably five faces. Okay. It, it, it sometimes comes to us in, as an inevitability. There's a, you know, mm. something happens that is inevitable and it forces you to change. You know, someone gets a terminal disease. Mm. Um, you know, something happens and you just, it's, you, you know, it's, I, I call inevitabilities eventualities of non-negotiability. Okay. This is going to eventuate, yeah. and it's not open to your negotiation, mm. and so that forces you to change, um, and forces you to surrender, which we're not surrender and be present. We're not real good at that. So uh, I talk about it as an eventual, as as a inevitability, uh, as an event. Sometimes change is a big event. Someone flies a plane into a World Trade Center, uh, and then we, and then the world's changed. Yeah, um, we all have massive events like that where minor events uh, sometimes it is a process but that's the most artificial and constructed version of change mm. um, often it's an invitation someone invites you into a space and your world changes by virtue of that invitation mm. and sometimes it's a revelation you wake up and see the world you know that the, the the diamond is twisted you've seen another aspect of it mm something else has been shone into your light and you're never going to be the same because you just can't see the world. Once you've seen, you can't unsee, you know. So I talk about those five aspects of change and I talk about, uh, I, I frame that within a conversation where so much of the conversation about change to date has been how do we manage, lead and control change? Whereas my my, I think that change is the agent for transformation in our life. So right. we, we're not meant to control it. It's meant to control us. Mm. And so when we down weapons and down our fortifications and down our desire to dominate it, because when we try and dominate it, it hurts us. Mm. But when we surrender to it, it blesses us. Mm. So the book is about how do I confront these five faces of change in a surrendered and gentle way? Mm. So that's that's the heart of what it is. Yeah, wow. Well, um When's that out? In about a month. Okay. So, oh, yeah. March. Okay. March of 2020. Amazing. Um, the other thing that's really exciting is over the years, how long have we been friends? Oh, uh, getting close to 20 years. Mm. Yeah. Um, the, the moments that change has happened and when you've invited me into a change space, uh, it's often been around food, it's often been uh, walking the streets at night, uh, yeah, it's totally. often been... Uh, have a glass of wine at the beach, but this it's often been in your home. Mm. Um, driving here today, I, I often have a flashback to sitting in your kitchen eating a, uh, a salad. You'd, you'd cooked some nice chicken on yeah. barbecue and a fresh salad, yeah. and, and just the conversation that yeah. I was invited into in your home um, it changed my life. And so, all these moments throughout our relationship, and mm. so I've been pushing you for a long time to. Um, create some form around that yeah, yeah. so that other people could experience that as well so super excited to hear that you created an opportunity um, for people to explore some of these wide open spaces that happen when yeah. you surrender the change yeah. 
Um, so, so tell us a bit about what's on the yeah, so horizon my, for this year for you. Well, yeah, so my wife and I uh, have decided that we want to run a thing called Wide Open Space Experiences, which is uh, a three-month program starting with a kind of a retreat at the front end and a retreat at the back end and intensive coaching all the way through. Uh, and then time for people to come and spend a couple of days with Ange and I, come and live with us for a few days and just one-on-one, just mm. spend some great time together. Um, and the heart of that is really about people starting to come back to, you know, wherever they're stuck, wherever their world has become narrow. I mean, the, the opposite of a wide open space is a narrow constricted space. Mm. And a lot of people that we run into are just in that narrow aperture. Mm. Their life has become a narrow lane, driven hard, mm. um, and it causes it, it takes an immense amount of energy to stay in that narrow space. Mm. And so, what we want to do is get them get them in touch with intuitively in touch with their authentic self again. Who am I? Uh, not what not what do I do, mm. but who am I? You know, like who am I as a being, and and why am I here? Mm. You know, who, how do I allow myself to be the manifestation of God that I'm meant to be? Mm rather than this narrow space how do i have that wide open experience where you know we 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 don't just come out of our heads but we start to come out of that subtle levels of consciousness that subtle awareness of who we're meant to be and what we're meant to do eventually what we're meant to do Um, but you don't get there just by you know being cognitively driven you mm. get that by resonance by trusting yeah, yeah sure. you know by all those kind of more and, subtle pieces yeah and i think that's a big distinction around the modalities that we operate in i'm much more in the cognitive space yeah, yeah. and a really rational thought through approach to dealing with yeah. with change um, but you're really focusing on intuition and yeah 100 percent focusing on you know if you're a christian you would say you know focusing on spiritual formation your connection to god if you're if you're not in the christian family then mindfulness meditation you know uh, subtle levels of consciousness different different levels of consciousness so whereas you work really well with cbt you know the cognitive behavioral therapy stuff helping people with their story pushing through that having resourceful stories i i'm going to leave that to you and i'm going to occupy that place where people develop a practice get that get that connection back again Mm. And start to live out of that connection. Yeah, um, the intuition piece is what I think is super exciting because uh, the conversation we we're having on the lounge before we recorded um, was a deeply intuitive one. It yes. was yeah. you could sense that there was some intuition that I hadn't articulated, was avoiding, um, but was deeply authentic, and you pushed into that. Yeah, yeah, always and do. Yeah. You always do exactly. We always do. And it's both painful and confronting and life-giving and, and transformational. Yeah, like yeah totally. I, so... Um, oh, we do that. We both do that for each other, which is the kind of lovely Sure, but I've learned that friendship. from you. Yeah. Well, definitely, if you, that is who you are and what you do. Thank so, you. Um, hmm, that's an exciting thing to be offering. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. it'd be good. I'll enjoy it. Uh, so we plan to have more conversations like these uh, about these kind of subjects and I think that's a good place to leave the conversation for today um, so if you found that useful uh, be really really interested to hear your feedback about it. it's the first time I've run this kind of episode uh, I'll have in the show notes how you can find out more about Greg and what he's up to and uh, let you know when that book arrives so we'll leave it there thanks again Greg and I hope you found that useful 
You've been listening to The Insecurity Project. I hope you found the content and conversations useful. And remember, you are not just the actor in the story, you are the storyteller. You have the ability to turn this all around. For more information about overcoming insecurity, check out theinsecurityproject.com.